Hey, Sox fans. Welcome to Good Guys Talk Back, a local fan-centric Chicago White Sox podcast. Hosted by Nick Morowski and Pat Hester. Hey, Sox fans. Welcome to Good Guys Talk Back. This is episode 209. I am Nick Morowski, and this is a fan-centric Chicago White Sox podcast. You can find it absolutely everywhere. Uh, you find your podcast. We're also going live right now on our YouTube channel, something we've been trying to do for the last month or so, uh, 8 p.m. on uh, 8.30, I'm sorry, on Sundays. Uh, but obviously, you can find the audio of our podcast everywhere on Twitter, at Good Guys TV, and we've got a Facebook fan page. We have a, a great episode. We are going to be joined by uh, Matt Flesh from the last Comiskey documentary uh, in just a few moments, talking to him about uh, the big part two uh, of, of what he released a couple years ago with his brother. And uh, I, I cannot wait to, to pick his brain. It, it's I'm very excited about this, as I know uh, you are, Mr. Pat Hester. Welcome, sir. Nick, it's good to talk to you, buddy. Uh, you already had an error, just like the Sox infield, right, to start the show. You said it was we're on at 8. Yep. We're on at 8.30. That's okay. Yep. It's spring training. And we're going to work on this. It we're going to work out the kinks and get into the season, man. Yeah. Uh, we got a couple games to, to talk about. Maybe we'll talk even a little Tim Anderson uh, later on uh, in this episode. But uh, going to be talking a lot of uh, Comiskey, 1990, uh, some of the nostalgia. Hopefully, folks, you haven't had an opportunity at some point over the last uh, couple of years now to take in what uh, you know Matt and his brother have done. Uh, it's entitled Last Comiskey. It's out on YouTube. It's been out on YouTube. And uh, boy, they've got some new stuff that's going to be dropping uh, on Thursday, March 2nd. Uh, and it's going to be uh, three consecutive Thursdays where they're going to uh, give you a, uh, just, uh, we, we had a sneak pe- preview, Pat and I, yep. and uh, of part one that's going to come out this Thursday, March 2nd. Uh, if you're from that era, and even if you're not, I mean, any White Sox fan needs to be watching this documentary. Uh, but if you lived through those moments of the late 80s, early 90s, and especially that last year for Sox Park, Pat, uh, Comiskey Park, unbelievable, just chills uh, going through and and seeing all those familiar faces that they were able to talk to. Yeah, it was definitely fun. These guys do a fantastic job. It's it's like taking a trip down memory lane for sure. And, you know, it helps me remember things that I forgot about, you know, <laughs> yeah, things know, that's just true. like, yeah. you know, my memory is not so good these days. And it's just fun to go back and, and relive these moments that, you know, seem like a thousand years ago now. And, yeah. and seeing the ballpark the way it was and, and thinking about how you felt taking in a game live and watching it on TV. It just, it was, uh, it, it's great. It's, it's very well done. And I can't wait to see the, uh, the next episodes drop. Yeah. If you loved what they did and, and I'm sure you, you did enjoy it and you pass it around to other Sox fans in your life, you are going to be thrilled uh, with what they've put together that is going to be dropping on March 2nd. So let's bring uh, him in. Uh, Matt Flesh, uh, you know, producer, director uh, of Last Comiskey. Matt, welcome to Good Guys Talk Back. Welcome back, I should say. All right. Yeah. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for having me back. Um, Matt, we were talking a little before, you know, we started recording uh, with you that uh, almost two years ago that we had you and your brother on uh, for the first time uh, on Good Guys Talk Back to talk about the the original a documentary, the thing that kind of started it, it all. Uh, and it, it, I, I'm so happy that you continued to do uh, what you do. Uh, but I do want to get to the why factor of that. If you could give everybody that for some reason, if they haven't watched your material yet, the, the last Comiskey, just kind of the elevator pitch of of what this is, what did you try to do? And then maybe give me a, a sense of like, well, why did you continue it? Why did you feel like there was more to, st- to st- like what more stories to tell, so to speak? Yeah. So I guess just taking it back in 1990, I was 15, uh, 15 years old. And I think that's kind of the golden age of being a baseball fan. You know, you you're you're young enough that you still think you have a chance to play for the Sox someday. <laughs> And but you're old enough to start to really appreciate some of the nuance of the game and not just the nuance of the game, but also the stadium, uh, old Comiskey Park at that age where you start to realize, wow, this place is really special. And I think during that last year, going to 
to a good amount of games, but more, I watched a ton of, I probably watched every game on TV and I loved that park. Uh, and I, and I loved that team, the way that team played the hustle, the stolen bases, the, the bunting the guy over the unbelievable defense with Guillen and Fletcher and, and Lance Johnson. And it just kind of always stuck with me. And I, and I think part of the reason it stuck with me so much is because it was also the last year in that old ballpark. Yep. Uh, and that ballpark was really special. And, and like I said, the games I went to that year, it really started to, to hit me just what a special place it was. I really started to get an understanding. So then in 2020 with the pandemic, when everything kind of shut down and nights and weekends, you're kind of thinking through, okay, what are we going to do now? There's no baseball. And so my brother, Mike and I started putting together just old footage and we put together our, you know, our original six part series, which was really narration and it was old clips and narration and and it got a good response and i think what started to happen is we started hearing from people who played on the team started hearing from i think it was nancy faust was the first person to reach out to us and and say how much she liked it started to kind of become started a friendship with her where she actually gave us a a videotape of of home home footage from the last game at old comiskey Wow. And some of the other games too. And and so we watched that and we're like, and, and we thought, yeah, let's do like a 10, 15 minute, let's revisit this and just do a 10, 15 minute thing. Just people remember in the park in that season. And so talk to Nancy, talk to Tom Scher, who's been a great collaborator on this project. He was on the score, you know, longtime Chicago sportscaster, Rich King, another longtime Chicago sportscaster, Kenny McReynolds. And then we interviewed Dan Evans and he is... <laughs> an unbelievable interview and just he has so much history with the white Sox and so many stories and I, I didn't know how much 1990 was important to him he was here from 1981 to 2000 so i wasn't sure if 1990 stuck out it, it really stuck out he had just the most incredible stories about that team those draft picks ozzy Gian, jeff torborg and it just kind of snowballed from there and just thought, hey, let's let's see if we can get Ozzy. Let's see if we can get Bobby Thigpen, Jack McDowell, Lance Johnson. And and so it really just kind of evolved from there into, hey, let's revisit this and and let's make it you know, more of a real documentary where you interview people and you have different perspectives. So it's like the way my brother Mike puts it is the other thing was like the minor leagues and this is like the major leagues. So yeah, <laughs> that's kind of the genesis of the, the project. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So Matt, I, I love all that. And I think it's fantastic the way you were able to weave in all, all the footage that you saw or, you know, from that were from, you know, video cameras. So was all that from Nancy or how did you, uh, be, were you able to accumulate all that raw footage? Because I just don't remember a lot of people walking around with, cameras all the time obviously there were people with camera phones so was that how laborious was that and how was that process in terms of gathering all that great footage yeah twitter was really helpful for that because put a call out for anybody who had photos or video and uh there was one person in particular john brudnick who was a andy frayne supervisor in the late 80s early 90s and the last season he took his video camera to a game and he walked around the whole park you know inside the park outside the park he took video where uh the andy frayne ushers would hang out he took video where they had like a holding cell for people who were arrested at the park just this incredibly cool footage of all like the nooks and crannies and the cavernous like underground of old comiskey park and so there was a number of people, there, other people who also shared their videos with us. And so you had to get the V take the VHS tape. There's a place I would take it in Naperville that could turn the VHS <laughs> into digital, a digital file so we could use it. But there is a ton of home video of the park and some of the aspects of it that you didn't see on TV. Some of the, the stuff, you know, under the stands and with the, the vendors and things like that. So that was part of the fun is it was like one great big collaboration with a lot of Sox fans who had photography and video that they were more than willing to share. You know, nobody asked for money for any of this stuff. They all wanted to be part of it. So it's very, very cool the way that came together. It uh, you'd mentioned in the Tribune article that that came out, uh, which I'm so happy that you guys got mentioned. Uh, if you haven't had an opportunity to read the article in the in the Chicago Tribune Sunday edition, Paul Sullivan had the write up. And you, you mentioned that, you know, it's a labor, uh, labor of love you know, a passion project, which 
I absolutely love that. And especially since it's about the White Sox. And when I started to watch, you know, the part, part one of this kind of second phase uh, that you, you know, kindly let Pat and I take a sneak peek at, uh, it, it was almost like a, a love letter to the White Sox by so many players. Uh, you know, you talk about Nancy Faust, but there's so many other players that spoke so passionately about, you know, Comiskey Park and the fans in that 1990 season. And one person that got a lot of love in part one was Jeff Torborg. And uh, I, of course, remember him managing and the big glasses and the starter, you know, jacket and everything. <laughs> but he got so much attention from the players that you were able to interview. And uh, I, I'd love to get your perspective and, uh, and how that happened. How did it come about that, you know, Jeff Torborg or were you surprised even that Torborg was mentioned so much? Yeah, I was. I always wondered. Uh, for instance, as I didn't know Ozzie Guillen considered him the, the greatest manager yeah. that he ever played for, and I think uh, Ozzie mentioned a few times when I spoke with him about how he emulated Jeff Torborg's style in a lot of ways. In terms of one of the sayings was, "I'm the boss, but I'm going to let you play." Mm -hmm. And he he set the tone. He was he was really about keeping a tight community in that team, having a really close knit team, but also letting players play. And if you look at that young team with, you know, Ventura going over 41 in his yep. rookie year, a lot of people struggling, he kept putting their name in the lineup and he kept demanding certain things of those players. Like Ventura played great defense. He bunted guys over, he hit behind the rudder. And so he was over 41, but he was still out there because he was playing the game the right way. And then you have a guy like Ozzie Guillen who's reinforcing that as a player for the whole team. But yeah, I think everybody I spoke to just loved playing for Torborg. I think he was a, a really great manager. I think it's a shame he didn't get to finish things out with the Sox because I think he could have been a stronger manager for those 93, 94 teams. Mm. And he went to the Mets, which was a terrible situation. He went from a bunch of young people, you know, kind of creating this whole vibe of family to go into that Mets team, which was a bunch of high-priced free agents who weren't going to listen to a guy like Torborg. Um, so yeah, but you're absolutely right. Torborg definitely set a tone and he's every player just, they, they go on and on. They love playing for him. So Matt, you had mentioned, you know, and Nick kind of brought it in is were you surprised about Jeff Torborg? I, I'd like to ask you what other things kind of surprised you or that kind of made you take a step back in this process, maybe even versus the first time you guys kind of, uh, went through this, like either who it was or what it was that you found out that was just kind of a, a shocker to you. Yeah, there's there's a bunch of things. I think one thing is I, I was I've always been a huge Ozzie Guillen fan, a great defensive player, and he turned into a great manager. I guess I, I didn't know the extent by which he was a leader on that team. I knew he was a leader, but I didn't I didn't know the extent um, to to how he was kind of almost a second manager, second captain, keeping that team to where, like he says, every pitch counts. You know, every single at bat matters. Not letting people slough off. Uh, so I think th that was a surprising element. There's a lot of other really cool things. Bobby Thigpen, who we got to talk to, and he's he's featured in more depth in our part three, where we get really get into the bullpen. And the bullpen stuff is interesting. It you know Bobby Thigpen, th they said that he would throw like 70 pitches in the bullpen, getting ready, <laughs> and they would actually have to hold the ball because he would just I don't know if it was just nerves. And Thigpen didn't really explain why he was doing that but he would throw so much in the bullpen before he came out and saved the games. And he saved 57 games that year and appeared in you know, some ungodly amount of games. So, but just some of those, those inside baseball type things is, is really a big part of what I, I wanted to get at. And the bullpen that year was amazing. And just hearing the way that bullpen, you know, you always think that the, the relief pitchers are, at least I always did. I thought that they were, you know, in the bullpen, watching the game, following the action, really on top of it. And what I learned is they were doing all kinds of crazy stuff back there, like, you know, playing Game Boy and pretending to play golf. And like, they weren't really even watching the game until it got later in in, in the game. So it's just some of those little inside bits I, I, I thought were really interesting. Uh, so many fun personalities. Uh, loved hearing from from Fletcher and, and Hibbard and, and Gallagher. It's a trip down memory lane, you know, growing up, just having all these baseball cards and watching these guys and and to hear them talk about, uh, you know, the 1990 season. And I think Nancy Faust brought it up in, 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 in part one of, you know, we were all going to say goodbye to Comiskey Park. 
this was the last year for Comiskey Park. And then all of a sudden it turned into, wait a second, this team is actually really exciting and fun. And, and they were predicted to not do very well. And it, and it really rubbed a lot of players. And I think Dan Evans even talked about it. We hated hearing that. We hated that we were being predicted uh, to, to finish so poorly. Uh, so talk a little bit about, you know, which obviously the documentary focuses on is the Oakland A's, a powerhouse team, and and what this 1990 White Sox team uh, brought to the table. How could they compete uh, with a powerhouse, a juggernaut uh, like the Oakland Athletics? Yeah, I think I think it's a great point. And one of the reasons why that year is so captivating, too, because you love a good underdog story. And the White Sox were picked last by everybody. And then you love to have a good villain in any story. And the A's were, I mean, if you weren't in Oakland, you hated the A's. Canseco and McGuire and all those guys, they were just, it was the team. It was like the Bulls in the 90s. You just you just wanted to, to take them off that pedestal. And I think the what the Sox did that year is they just, their pitching was lights out. They executed super well on offense. They were they were gritty. They they fought it out. They worked every single at bat. It's one of the things that Fletcher and Gian and, and Lance Johnson they all talk about Walt Herniak and Walt Herniak was the hitting coach for the Sox back in 1990. And they all talked about how he would have these pregame meetings and just fire the team up. And they would all have a plan of how they're going to attack that pitcher. And you know, Flesher said that he would, you know, Herniak always had a story that he would tell to, you know, just to get everybody fired up. We're going to, whatever that pitcher's weakness, we're going to exploit, exploit, exploit until we get them. Um, and whatever that may be. So I think that was something where they wanted it so bad. And all those players as well, one of the things that they say is they hated to lose more than they liked to win. And I heard that mm. multiple occasions by all those players. They just, they were young. They believed they could win. They hated to lose. They expected to win. And that mindset that they brought that year was really, uh, it was such a turning point for the White Sox because those mid to late 80s teams were were so difficult to watch and, and just struggled so much. It was like this whole new vibe and, and uh, this whole new attitude that they had. And I think that's just a big part of it is, is just the way that Torborg brought in that mentality. And then you brought, had guys like Ian and Walt Herniak, and I think that they just people didn't like playing them. Like Lance Johnson said that I don't think people like playing us because mm -hmm. they just were, were they weren't going to quit. Yeah. So Matt, I'm going to switch back over from players to the ballpark itself, yeah. and in a couple of the shots, you see, you know, the from the vantage point, you can see the new ballpark on the horizon on the other side of the street. So my question to you is, as as a fan and a person that obviously loved the stadium as much as you did. Do you wish that new Comiskey Park was just a replica, like kind of like uh, Yankee Stadium, I guess, is built very similar to the way old Yankee Stadium was? Or do you would you have liked them to try and renovate old Comiskey Park and or, or would that have achievement it and taken a little of the charm away to add luxury boxes and suites and, and change the ballpark to make it more modernized? What would you have preferred? Because I think, you know, the new ballpark has grown on a lot of people, but it at first wasn't so charming. It's gotten a little more charming after the, as the years go by. So what would you have liked to have seen on if, you know, you could make it happen? Yeah. For first would of course be that they could renovate it. I, I would have loved it if they could have kept it. I think if they had been able to renovate it and kept it there, it would be a, a landmark. It would be a destination. You're coming to Chicago, check out Wrigley. And you also got to check out Comiskey oldest park in baseball. I think uh, it would be the only park that would have those upper decks all the way out to the outfield and the scoreboard right in the center. It just, it had such an iconic look. I, I would have loved if they could have renovated it. Um, and even if they had to do some things like they have at Wrigley that make it less old school, I think keeping the bones because that old park, you were so close to the action. If you were in the upper deck, you were, you were right on top of the field anywhere in the upper deck. Now, there were some terrible seats, don't get me wrong, like behind the poles and some of the corners. I mean, some of the worst seats you could possibly imagine. But she didn't really sit there unless it was like the World Series, I guess. You know, if you had one of those terrible seats, you'd go to the, you know, you'd go to the picnic area, you'd go to the catwalk, you'd find another seat to sit in. It, it never really was an issue. So that'd be my first choice. My second choice would be, yeah, build a new park. And I think the problem with 
all the new parks, and this is not just um, the new Sox Park, I think is just the way they made the upper deck so far away and so high up because they had so many, many levels of suites. And I, I wish there could just be some way. To, I know you got to have the suites. You do. You, it's, it's a revenue thing, but there's got to be some way to lower the upper deck, put the suite somewhere where it still allows the regular fans to be closer to the action and the upper deck to be more over the field. So I, I hope, you know, maybe, uh, maybe they'll just keep renovating the new park and eventually it'll look exactly like Comiskey park and then we'll be all good. <laughs> it's available to play in, in some video game. And I am not a video yeah. game guy, but I heard it's like an option when you're playing this, this new video game to play at old Comiskey, which I think is great. Um, yeah, there's, there's, uh, there's so many, so many nuggets to take away from, I guess this, I call it this like second phase of this part two that you're going to be releasing, uh, starting on uh, on March 2nd. Now there's other storylines. You know, you've got obviously Comiskey Park. Uh, you've got the 1990 drama with uh, the Oakland Athletics. But there are other uh, there are other angles like you know the 1977 uh, Chicago White Sox. You know the Southside Hitmen. What other what other storylines or threads you know can we expect uh, here in this second the second phase? Yeah, the 77 Hitmen, uh, you know, the Nancy Faust portion just kind of yeah. lent itself to you go back to 1970 when she started playing. She really made a name for herself with the 77 Hitmen with Nana Hey Hey. And then uh, with Dick Allen in 1972 playing Jesus Christ Superstar when he came up to bat, kind of put her on the map. And so kind of telling the story of the old park from 1970 onward through Nancy's playing and the way she brought uh, so much to that experience at Comiskey Park. I mean, how many parks... Just think about Comiskey. Like you could, you could walk up to the organist and be like, "Hey, uh, Jose Canseco is going out with Madonna, so when he comes up, you should play a Madonna song." And she's like, "Oh, good idea!" And she plays it. I mean, that's so cool. But um, getting back to your question, there's a. Uh, it goes back. We we have a segment on 1983, in part two, which was a lot of fun. And it's you know we talk. There's a lot on chemistry in this documentary and. I'm a big believer in having played baseball back in the day myself. And just if you're on a team where people like each other and you're pulling for each other and you kind of have a vibe, you're going to be better. And that 1983 team had an incredible chemistry talking to, you know, Vance Law, Ron Kittle. They just talked about how there was such a tight bond on that team in 1983 and how subsequent moves after that year kind of took that away, took away some of that chemistry. So I think that that 1983 bit, that team was was awesome and such a fun team. So there's a bit on that. And there is also probably my favorite part of this thing, I'd have to say if I had to pick it, is we have a segment on the vendors, the beer vendors. That's about six or seven minutes long. There's this guy, uh, Lloyd Rutsky, uh, who was a vendor from, I don't know, like 1965 to 2019. And then Mark Reiner's another one. Um, and another uh, another vendor from the, the mid-80s, David Ruggendorf. Um, and these guys were just hilarious. They had the best stories. Lloyd Ruskin and, and Mark Reiner, like they would compete who could sell the most loads of beer and just the stories of selling beer like in the bathroom and oh. like selling beer to people on their way out of the park, you know, take one for the road and oh, just, really? just how things were uh, <laughs> yeah. just unhinged back, you know, in yeah. the 70s that they just, you know, there was there was no limits, you know, they didn't cut off beer sales. So I thought that that was uh, really, really interesting. And just the bond that the vendors had, like the yeah. chemistry amongst the vendors was really cool too. So that thematic kind of carries through the whole thing. So Matt, as you've gone through this process and the process, the the first time around, there's, I'm sure there's a lot of things that, you know, didn't get past the cutting room floor. I'm th sure there's things that you didn't put in, or maybe there's things that you're thinking about. So, you know, I know you just got this one wrapped up and you're, you're, the new episodes are ready to launch. Are there things in the future that you'd like to explore or, or different stories or different eras that you'd like to, you know, do something like this on? Yeah. Well, one thing on this, there's, there's a number of outtakes that didn't make it in uh, like some really funny anecdotes and things that just didn't, they just didn't fit. Like, I guess Ozzie Gian uh, got sick of everybody wearing the same tie on the flights. So he would, he would, if, it, if you wore the same tie, he would cut your tie. <laughs> and they all <laughs> talked about that. Um, and then he would give you 20 bucks. So Wayne Edwards was a relief pitcher and he said he just started wearing, you know, really crappy ties. So as he would cut it and give him 20 bucks, you know, make extra money. <laughs> so uh, that was good. But yeah, 
definitely after this going to take a break. But what do you guys think? Like if when you think of uh, your favorite teams and stuff, if if you wanted there to be a documentary on a team in your lifetime, which what team stands out to you guys? For me, it's the 93 team. And, 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 And then you could, you know, maybe bleed into 94 into the strike year, because for me, it was and for all fans of baseball, but especially White Sox fans of that 94 team, thinking that you really had a chance. It was the first time in my life as a fan, I really thought, you know, this is, we're, we're going to go to the World Series. We're going to be, we're, we're going to face the Braves. That was in my mind. We're going to go to the World yeah. Series. We're, we're playing against the Braves and I can't wait two best pitching staffs in baseball. So that 93 team for me was, you know, was the, the had a great shot and then going into 94. So that's what I'd like to see. Yeah, there's no question. I was going to say the exact same thing. I mean, you know, 2005, I'm sure you could always find uh, new little stories, new little nuggets. Um, and, and I think we're living in a very interesting time right now, uh, you know, post, you know, Tony La Russa era. I, I think years down the road, there's going to be some interesting stuff coming out of what we just kind of got through and hopefully, you know, a happy ending yeah. uh, under Pedro Grifol. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that 93 team, man, that was, that was like the, the black and white, you know, that's where our, you know, our podcast name came from good guys, you know, talk back, good guys wear black. And that was just such an edge about them. And, uh, they carried over that into 94 and, and to get maybe more player perspectives of like how, like the feeling, you know, um, the feeling of, <sighs> how when did it sink in almost you know and, and getting different ideas uh, we we got somebody in in the chat sydney thank you the 2000 team i mean that was a yeah. that was a very fun team that oh just collapsed against oh. the mariners sickening yeah. uh that was yeah. not the finish we wanted at all um <clears throat> so obviously like the playoff teams are uh are, are easy to go after but I mean, you guys did such a great job with this. Uh, it, it is really, uh, I think, you know, when, when you let us take a sneak preview last year, and it was just a horrible season. I mean, last year yeah. was so rough from so many different uh, angles. And I was watching some of, you know, your early footage. It was like, this is what we needed as Sox fans right now. You know, yeah, this was yeah. the thing to you know, kind of build our spirits. And right now there's still a lot of frustration. There is a lot of frustration from Sox fans. I totally get it. Uh, But I think watching this documentary, Matt, honestly, you're going to be able to mend some people. You're going to be able to mend, you know, uh, something that's torn up right now. uh, And it's perfect timing leading into, you know, opening day. Uh, So kind of give us like a breakdown of part one, part two, part three of like what we're going to what could be in store for here? Yeah, yeah. I just want to comment on some of those things that that you just said, though. Uh, What first thing in part two, there is a part where Ozzy talks about the slogan, good guys wear black. He gives his opinion on that slogan. I'll let you guys wait for that because I don't (laughs) think so. Yeah, it's good. Um, So there's that. And then, yeah, 93, 94 team for sure. That was, um, yeah, that was, those were exciting teams. And it was such a bummer that that 94 strike season happened. What a disappointment. And then the 2000 team, that's a great point. Like, I I loved that team. I I thought they they had some great pickups. Was that Charles Johnson they got at the Mm -hmm. end of the year? They Mm -hmm. had Herbert uh, Perry, the milkman at third base. (laughs) Like, and, but that pitching staff, you just knew wasn't going to take them anywhere. You know, it, it had uh, Jim Parquet, Mike Soraka. Just yeah. it, it didn't seem like a playoff pitching staff that was yeah. going to, you know, take you too deep in the, into the playoffs. But um, yeah, those are those are good thoughts. Um, yeah, and then this team, I would say it's interesting because a lot of times, so like take Ozzy for instance, right? He's people talk about his OPS was not that great, and look at his batting average and you know, you get some negativity there, but I'll take a guy in Ozzy Guillen who's a leader and plays great defense and comes through in the clutch and plays the, the big kicker, plays 155 to 160 games a year. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. if this team this year, if there's one thing I would like to see is just these guys stay on the field. You know, mm-hmm. if Tim Anderson play 150 games, that would be unbelievable. Uh, so hopefully that happens. But anyway, getting to your question. Yeah, so um, you wanted me to go through like each part, kind of what's in store. Yeah, give kind of break us down. So you got March second, March 9th, and March sixteenth. Uh, yeah. So three straight Thursdays. Uh, you mentioned a little bit of part three bullpen, but uh, yeah, if you can go ahead and kind of give us what what we might be in store for. 
For sure. Yeah. So part one, it, it kind of takes you through the expectations for that 1990 team and how they just kind of came out of nowhere and had that amazing start where they took on the A's. And so there's uh, quite a few segments on the A's rivalry, the the first series at Old Comiskey Park, and then the first series in Oakland where they they went out there and, and swept the A's. So all the players' reflections on that. And that first Oakland series, just the buzz of Comiskey, the way that park was just alive. And part one also has some great little segues that, that I really enjoyed working on. Um, one is on Chicken Willie, the clubhouse mm-hmm. guy. kind of takes yeah. you into what it was like to be in the clubhouse and this kind of iconic clubhouse guy who, you know, would cook chicken and fried chicken and just all this stuff in the clubhouse in a tiny little kitchen. So there's some nice little outtakes there. And of course there's, there's a, a, a long segment on Nancy Faust and what she brought to that, to that team, what her playing, how innovative it was and how mm-hmm. groundbreaking it was. You know, she invented the walk-up song. So that yep. kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, part two uh, gets more into kind of the grit of that team uh, there's there's also a pretty significant segment segment on Carlton Fisk and all the pitchers uh, talking about what it was like to pitch to Fisk and it's it's really interesting just you know what a tough leader he was and I think every pitcher has a story of mm-hmm. Fisk coming out and punching him in the chest <laughs> <laughs> and telling him hey throw the ball over the plate or whatever it was uh, the vendors that 1983 and then there's quite a bit on the draft picks you know Dan Evans really goes into detail on why they drafted those guys what they brought to the team. And then part three, there's um, some great stuff on the Graybeck Ian uh, back-to-back home runs. Yes, and yeah. uh, the, the ensuing uh, series out in Texas. <laughs> there's uh, and then there's quite a bit in part three, just about the park reflections on the park, what made it so special. Uh, Brian Powers from Bandbox Ballparks gave us a lot of animations of inside the park and and things like that, and then just kind of takes you through the rest of the season and you know, how, how it all ended up with that fight against Oakland and how they just yeah. came up short and then just kind of taking it home with that last that last game and, you know, trying to pull out the heartstrings a little bit at the end there with you know, <laughs> what, what that park meant to people, but also just what being a fan of the team means. And, uh, you know, try to keep it on a hopeful note and a yeah. happy note as opposed to like, you know, ending the thing with like the wrecking ball hitting the park and just fade <laughs> to black. It's not like that. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a happy documentary. So... <laughs> Well, Matt, uh, first of all, I want to uh, thank you again for joining us tonight. Uh, Nick and I both uh, appreciate it. L- last question from me, uh, yeah. you know, looking at and again, doing as much of a deep dive as you've done on that 1990 team outside of the games played, as you mentioned before, what is something or an element that you wish this team, this current team, the 2023 White Sox have that that 1990 team had? Yeah, that's that's a good question. You know, play, playing playing more games is a big one, but I think in in things that I know aren't going to change cuz the games just changed. So, I would love to see pitchers go deeper. Like I love Johnny Cueto. I, I I would love to see pitchers just not try to overpower every time they're out there and 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 go deeper into games and you know, really pitch. There's a lot from Jack McDowell in the documentary just talking about that very concept of you know, establishing the inside corner or establishing a secondary pitch. And obviously these are smart pitching coaches with the Sox right now. They know what they're doing. It's just, that I'd like to see more of that. I hope, and I read in the paper that, and it doesn't, it seem like at the beginning of every year, they say they're going to steal more bases and be more aggressive mm-hmm. and do better yeah. base running. So that it's, they're saying that this year, I hope it rings true. I hope we see more aggressive movement. I just want to see more excitement, less station to station. I do want them to hit more home runs this year. <laughs> yeah, even though you know, we all I, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I'd like to see them hit more home runs, but I think from that '90 team, just that tenacity that you kind of didn't see the. It seemed like the clubhouse was kind of falling apart a little bit at the end there, mm-hmm. and I'd like to see that you know that team come together a little bit better and and uh, see a little more tenacity and and just see that fire game in and game out. That when you watch the White Sox in 1990, there was no doubt about the fact that you could tell that those players were giving it everything they had every time. And, you know, I, I hope we I hope we see that this year. Yeah, I, I think we're going to see a different brand of White Sox baseball this season. I really do. And of course, uh, you know, it's it's hope that uh, you're clean slate right now. So uh, where can we find everything, Matt? Let us know, you know yeah. where we should be subscribing. What should we be waiting for and, and how to how to watch these uh, part one, two and three? Yeah, for sure. And before I before you guys send me off, I have to 
note that this project has been an awesome collaboration and my brother mike has played yep. a, a big role again um i have an awesome color guy pichinata mark bandy does the audio and tom share who i mentioned before has been instrumental and with the edits and all that stuff so I just, you know, don't want to sit here talking about my, my thing. It's <laughs> definitely been a, a huge collaboration. So well done. I yeah. want to mention that. And uh, yeah, so uh, on YouTube, it's at last Comiskey 1990 is where you can find the page. You can, you don't have to, but if you subscribe, you'll, you know, you'll get reminders and things like that, that it's coming out. And then on Twitter, it's just at last Comiskey. So we put a lot of content up there too. Yeah. Uh, Matt, always a pleasure. I think, uh, you know, you might hop on locked on, uh, White Sox later this week. Yeah. Um, it's just, I know I speak for a lot of White Sox fans. Just thank you. I mean, it has been uh, so refreshing and uh, really warms the, the soul, uh, especially during, you know, at the beginning, the during the pandemic where we didn't have White Sox baseball. And now, uh, when it's been frustrating, it's been a long off season, I think this is going to be a great setup for opening day. So uh, thank you so much for giving us uh, some of your time, Matt. Pat and I are going to continue to talk some White Sox, but uh, uh, thank you so very much. And please thank your brother. And uh, it was a it was a great, uh, just a great passion project. Thank you so much. And hey, guys, thank you for, you guys have been great advocates for what we're doing from the beginning and uh, having us on your show back you know, a couple of years ago. It was really appreciated. So thanks for all you guys do kind of, getting it out there and and also for your your podcasts are awesome so appreciate, oh, appreciate it, it. thank right, you so man all right we'll, we'll talk guys. to you all right bye-bye cool. wow that was yeah, fun i mean you know you remember when you first watched it uh, a couple of years ago mm-hmm. and uh you know it was i don't know man it gave me chills it just was something that we needed you know there there wasn't a lot going on in the sports world uh there was a lot of uncertainty and uh, it just took you back. It, it took you back. And that team, you know, I was 10. We were, we were both, you know, 10, 11 uh, when that 1990 season happened. And I do remember going to, you know, old Comiskey Park and, and I shared some stories with Matt and, you know, it, uh, but to hear the insight, you know, like he had said, the players and, and, you know, like the scrappiness and, and the, uh, you know, the, they really took it personal that they were yeah. being picked last in 1990. Uh, and uh, you got these two, these two dynamics of the, the end of an era in Comiskey park and this, this showdown with the, with the powerhouse Oakland athletics um, folks, we, Pat and I have seen a sneak preview. It, you got to watch it. I mean, whether you no, no matter what age uh, you're going to fall in love uh, with this team all over again. So uh, good on Matt and his brother and everybody involved. Uh, awesome stuff. Yeah, no doubt about it. It makes you proud to be a White Sox fan. It really does. I mean, there's some times where, you know, we take a lot of flack in this town uh, for not supporting our team good enough. And, and there's not enough of us and all that, all that crap that's out there, that narrative that's out there. And this helps you remember why we are who we are. It's part our, our culture is, is written all over this story as White Sox fans. And it makes you remember that if there's a product out there worth watching, this fan base will go out and support it 100%. And it's not the other way around when the owner at one point said, come out and I will I will take care of it and I'll, I'll go out and buy things that we need, but you have to come out here first, which that's not the way the world works. So yeah. just uh, just made me remember why it's so fantastic to be a fan of this, uh, of this ball club. Yeah, great interviews from Nancy Faust, and uh, and there there was just some snippets from Peter Gammons, you know, doing on field uh, interviews uh, during that 1990 year towards the stretch when the Sox were were on the heels of the Oakland Athletics, and he Gammons made some kind of comment of like, you know, the Sox are going to show the A's what it's like to play on the South Side of Chicago, and just how that place was just rocking you know, with, with Nancy on the organ and, and Thigpen closing things down. And then you just hear, uh, you know, Hawk, you know, after Thigpen would get that strikeout to end the game. Yes. Just, just, it, man, it brought, brought back so many wonderful, like just summer memories. Um, 
So uh, March 2nd, March 9th, and March 16th, and we'll do everything we can to continue to to pass that along because it, it's well worth your time. Yeah, and, and you know, the cool thing is, Nick, you and I obviously got a, a chance to get the sneak peek of, peak of episode one, but we have not seen two and three. No. After hearing what we heard no. from Matt, I can't wait for the next two episodes to drop. I'm, I'm as excited as everybody else is. Um, and I don't, you know, I just... I might, I might be in one of the parts. I, I might. Be oh, really? Involved. I, I might oh, wow. be. You are, you are some type of uh, social media maven, aren't you? You're just all over <laughs> Skeet Allen and Bebop and I, all I over might, town. I might, I might provide my intake, my my perspective. Just, I'm just saying. Just, well, uh, you're, you know, you're a good you never, man to get perspective from. That's you for never sure. know. Um, Pat, uh, White Sox baseball is back. Uh, it's only the spring, but mm-hmm. I am all kinds of excited. I don't care. Uh, I've watched a lot of spring training baseball this past weekend wasn't terribly good uh white yeah. Sox baseball but uh, some some fun little nuggets did you happen to catch uh any of the action it was televised uh-huh. on saturday sunday uh, you had to go i went through mlb tv uh to get uh, and i got the angels feed so oh okay uh, i watched very little i'm not gonna lie to you it was <laughs> it's always a busy weekend with with stuff with kids for me but uh you know listen it is spring training after all. I looked at the lineup today. It's not a lineup that we're going to see on opening day. So it doesn't surprise me that where there were zero runs scored. And uh, and when the pitching, the pitching rotation that you had going out there today, no surprise what the outcome was. Uh, I, I, I guess I'd put the panic level at like, a, I don't know, a seven or eight. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That was me. That would be me. That's where I want the panic. (laughs) You're just blowing into a paper bag. I had to go take a walk after it was seven, nothing angels after three innings. I had to leave. I just had to go get a breather. Uh, Yeah. That's me though. That's I I know. And I'm glad you that's you're out there to watch the every inning for me to fill me in. But listen, I'll, I'll be more interested as this year goes on or as this, this preseason goes on. And I'm more interested also to see when the guys go to the world baseball classic, because that'll be, you know, those are not real games. They're not counting for anything, you know, in the standings for, you know, MLB, but they're, it's real competition against some of the best players in the world. And, and that will give me, uh, yeah, it will either make you get more excited or, or just, you know, it'll make you more nervous and, 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 you know, what are we doing? What's going to happen this year, depending on how, you know, our guys perform in the world baseball classic. Uh, these guys that are going, I mean, especially Moncada and Robert, I mean, they are, uh, they cannot wait. And, and mm-hmm. I feel like they have prepared themselves in the off season differently because of what they're going to be uh, representing and, and what they're going to be doing in the world baseball classic. And I just think it's, it's good. I think it's good for the white Sox. Uh, you get some of the, the juices going, uh, the competition early, so you're going to see a lot of players, you know, that are going to go to the World Baseball Classic getting getting action right now. Like mm-hmm. they're getting in, they're getting their innings. Lance Lynn started on Saturday. He's going to be pitching for Team USA. Not a shocker that he started the game on Saturday. He went three innings, uh, looked maybe a little uncomfortable in the first inning, but settled down. No walks, four strikeouts. Um, you know, said some great things after. He felt good about what he was doing. You know, it's just all about endurance and that's what you hope you know mm-hmm. uh, and obviously guys are working on all different kinds of things i just that's the hope for my from my standpoint pitching it's get ahead early you know attack the strike zone and whatever you're working on hopefully it's working you know yeah. uh and it went if you're frustrated and you continue to be frustrated that's when i get a little, little concerned but lance lynn had had great things to say and uh you had some power from Sheets and Berger, who Berger was playing some first base uh, on, on Saturday, played, uh, you know, played on Sunday, I believe, too. Um, and you got two runs total in two games, nine hits. Sacks were 0 for 6 with runners in scoring position, but promising to see Sheets go long. I still don't know where Berger fits in. Um, I don't think it's with a glove at first, but there's no question he's got power. I mean, that blast in left center field uh, that you have to recognize that. And I just don't know what to do. You know, well, what you do do is root for him to do more of it because that's showcased (laughs) everybody else. No, I mean, I'm not, I'm not kidding here. Listen, if Berger and sheets have really good springs, I don't know if they'll get moved before the start of the season, but listen, man, they're, they're two guys that are out there that really don't have a home. 
and it'd be nice to have them showcase something to the rest of the league. I just hope that because we talked about, it, I think in the last episode, Nick, the the other holes, maybe the lack of depth that we have at other positions, maybe a catcher, maybe at you know somewhere in your starting rotation. Not that you're going to go out and get a great starter for trading, you know, Gavin Sheets or or Jake Berger. But listen, man, if you can package one of those guys up or both of them in in some way, shape, or form. And get something back that you have uh, you're lacking. I think that's the the best case scenario. So let's root for them to have a really good spring because let's just be honest, there isn't really any room on this team for either of them. I don't think there. We already have too many DH first baseman type guys. Yeah, uh, and, and Berger's an easy guy to root for. Uh, Sunday, uh, the game against the Angels. Angels put their A team out. They had Otani. They had Trout. They had Rendon. Uh, we had. You know, Colas played a um, couple hits. Yeah, a couple hits, uh, which is good. I mean, that's what you want. Um, some things that they definitely have to clean up defensively. I mean, good Lord, on, on Saturday, you know, one of those silo shots, you know, pop fly. And again, I, I just don't know if I, Grafol said he wanted mistakes. You know, he wanted mistakes so we can learn from it. Let's get that out of the way, right? Like, and, well, he had it. He had it <laughs> oh, Saturday. It shows and that the team is listening to him. Yeah. Like, hey, guys. <laughs> he had it. He had it happen. Uh, again, it happened late in the game on Saturday. So guys that are probably not going to be playing much together, but, but, but listen, let's, let's just stop there for a second, Nick, because <laughs> regardless of these guys are going yeah. to be playing on this club at some level in the organization or somewhere else. I mean, they've played a lot of baseball in their life to get to this point, right? To be in camp at a major with a major league team. I cannot believe that there are still people that are having trouble I mean, it seems like it's always the White Sox with with infield pop-ups. Infield pop-ups, yeah. It's like, holy Lord, how many in the last <laughs> two years that we've seen that are just falling between Yeah, people? you're right. I shouldn't have I, to I make mean, it excuses for anybody. I, and it's, I know it's, it's early, but goodness But it's gracious. not really early. Like, it's the, to your point, like, you're over the age of eight. So you should be able to make that, uh, that yes. play effectively. And you're watching the pitcher who may or may not even had a name on the back of his Jersey at that point. That's when you get to, okay, we might see you in a couple of years. It maybe we'll never see you, but he's just staring at the ball as it is a hanging up in the air. You're, you're taught from a pretty young age. I remember like freshman year of high school pitching uh, coaches, coaches in general, just like when you've got an infield fly and it's in front of you as a pitcher, get off the mound just just, sprint, just run just, to the stands just, get a drink just just sprint <laughs> to either the first baseline or the third baseline and and look at the field where can i be potentially backing up uh-huh. you're no good to anybody it's it's your <laughs> it's the you're, you're coming off the mound it's all weird you know you're focusing on the third baseman coming in or the first baseman coming in or potentially the catcher, but I don't like the catcher backpedaling. I like third or first that are coming in to make the play. It seems, I mean, I know it, you know it, the American <laughs> people know it. I mean, goodness gracious. Maybe they did that on purpose, just so yes. people can like give them something to work on. Let's, it's video. Maybe it's stock yeah, video. Yeah. Maybe they're going to use that as an instructional mm-hmm. tape that they're going to watch. Uh, uh, and that was Saul's a setup. Uh, oh, I don't know. Boy. Well, again... Those are the types of things that as this spring training goes along, uh, I want to see less and less of. I want to see a team that is, I I don't need this team to be the best defensive team in the league, Nick. I I don't need them to be in the top five, but I do not, I do need them not to be dead last. You don't want to be in the bottom five. No, no, they've got to be. (laughs) They've got to be in the upper half of of the American league. They should, and they should. I mean, uh, is that so much to ask? It's not. And and I think the, they're going to be better defensively. It didn't look like it this past weekend. It's early. Uh, did not like seeing uh, Tanner Banks and Jimmy Lambert just absolutely knocked all over the place. Uh, there were nine pitchers that threw on Sunday. The only ones to give up runs were Lambert and Banks. Uh, yeah. And again, the Angels had their studs out, but still, uh, it they were, they were just kind of throwing. Maybe they were just working on you know, Hey, I'm just going to groove some stuff in and I'm just, I, Hey, I'm still a little tight. I'm a little tight. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. uh, Didn't didn't like to see that, but you know, everybody's still saying all the right things. And, uh, again, to the, to the 1990 doc, 
the chemistry stuff. And when you folks watch this documentary and you hear these players, Fletcher, McDowell, Hibbard, Gallagher, Guillen, on and on, talk about that 1990 team and just how much they cared about each other. You know, when they put that Sox uniform on, it, it was they were they were just uh, an absolute family. You're, you're, I'm hearing that, you know, is, is something somewhat preached by Grafol uh, this offseason. And it just happened recently. You know, this yeah. past week, Elvis Andrews talking about how, look, every team's got talent. Every team's got, you know, talented players. It's the teams that gel. It's the chemistry. You know, yeah. it's the camaraderie almost. It's like, how are you how is that being formed? Uh, and, and, you know, he must have saw something with this White Sox team where he wanted to be back. And uh, again, the Sox are better to have him. Uh, so that, that's something that I'm following is just are you having fun? Yeah, let's just have some fun. And, and you can use that 1990 edge if you want. They're not picking you to be dead last in the central, but they're not picking you. Some of you got some of you are uh, third place. Yeah. You know, in the central. So I, whatever you need to do, whatever you can use, use it, you know, as motivation. Yeah. And, and I, you know, you talked about the list of players that you rattle off in that documentary that that spoke and talked about family. The one that stood out to me was Lance Johnson. You know, Lance oh, yeah. Johnson, you know, is a guy. <laughs> yeah. You know, that it, it's all, it's always about Ozzy, right? Because, mm -hmm. you know, he was the one that talked and, and there's other guys on, on the team that you heard of or the, their stories are bigger, but someone that I, I didn't really know the personality of a Lance Johnson and to hear what he had to say, and I'll save it for, I'll let you uh, folks listen to it uh, or yeah. watch it when you do. But that's the kind of guy that I would invite back to speak to a team. Yeah. Like, you know, and, and, other, and most guys are going to know who a Lance Johnson is, but I'll tell you what, man, uh, listen to him talk and listen to him talk about how his teammates cared about him and how much that meant to him. I think that's something that, that could speak volumes to young players and, and how you should comport yourself uh, within a, a major league clubhouse. Yeah. Uh, he, uh, you're right on that. That was a great, uh, that was a great interview. There's so many. And uh, I, I was just shocked by the Torborg stuff um, and, and how much love the players had for Torborg and his style and, and, uh, you know, his message that he would give. And, you know, I think I think it was Hibbard who had just a bad outing young guy, you know, just just kind of coming up. And it, I might maybe it was Edwards. I don't know. But one one of the arms on that team had a rough outing and thought maybe, you know, maybe I might be sent down. And and Torborg pulled him into his his office after the outing. It's just like you're here to throw strikes like go at him don't be picking around the corners and being cute. Like, give me what you got, yeah. like absolutely go at them. And uh, to, to hear the love that they had. And, and again, Matt hit it. Ozzie Guillen's quote of like best manager I've ever played for. And I played for La Russa and Bobby Cox. Jeff, Jeff Torborg was the guy. Yeah. Which is something that you don't hear a, a lot, <laughs> you know, and, and Jeff Torborg and in the conversation of, you know, best managers, you, you, it's like, <laughs> forgotten managers maybe not for uh, you know our fan base or for you and i but but it's you know it's something about a manager that just gets a sense of what he's dealing with you know he's a manager of personalities yeah. you're managing people and 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 egos and you know all that kind of stuff and when you just could push the right buttons sometimes you're just you're the right manager for the right group of people you know, for whatever you needed to get out of them and, and get them to collaborate. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it'll be exciting to see that drop. It's exciting to see baseball and talk real baseball and games. And you had mentioned it at the start, Nick, I don't know if you want to go there. You want to, you want to go the direction of, of Tim Anderson. Let's go for a about. little bit. Let, let's Let, go for a little bit. Okay. Um, Tim Anderson, you know, focal point this past week, he made himself available to the media there was a huge, uh, you know, issue uh, with this with this podcast with with Chuck and uh, Sax Talk, NBC Sports Chicago's podcast, and uh, that little blurb that got out. And what did he mean? What what didn't he mean? And then shortly after that, he had an article that Merck put together uh, on WhiteSox.com that he you know he wants to be in a White Sox uniform for the rest of his career. He's kind of getting itchy a little bit of like, hey, I'd, you know, I'd like to know where I'm going to be at. I know the club's got an option 
after 2024, I believe. But I kind of want to know long-term plans and almost hinting at like, let's, let's talk extension right now. Will the White Sox want to do that? Are, are they going to pay him? I don't know. I don't see it happening sooner rather than later. But his comments uh, that were taken in all different kinds of directions, what did you make of what Tim Anderson said uh, about last year, about fans, about positive, negative, all that stuff? I, I tweeted, Nick, it felt very on brand for Tim Anderson. Whether that's whether that's a, a positive thing or a negative thing, I think that's kind of who he is. It didn't surprise me. He didn't surprise me that you know he wants everybody to have good vibes and and positive and all that stuff. It didn't surprise me that he kind of went after Chuck because him and Chuck have a are, are pretty you know seemingly pretty tight. You mm-hmm. know, and, and, and if you in terms of you know media person and, and athlete, I, I, I tighten that way. So sure. I, it doesn't surprise me that he kind of went out. I don't think we, we would have done it with maybe somebody else that maybe with a Vinnie Duber or somebody else that covers the team. I think because it is Chuck uh, that he, he, he went after it and he knew it would get his the reaction it did. A lot of people got upset about it and bent out of shape, you know, to don't especially when you bring the fans. When it, listen, man, I, I, I don't really care. Just go out there and, and play well and be available, as as Matt was talking about. Play some freaking games this year. Keep yourself healthy yeah. and produce out there. I, I could care less about what guys or how they want to get motivated, how they think everybody should, what everybody's individual roles should be. If you don't like the fact that you know your your manager was there was chanting tire fire Tony fire Tony and sell the team signs were in the outfield and and things like that, then you know what. Uh, use it as motivation. And if it's to prove the fans wrong and prove media people wrong, and that's how you're going to succeed. Fine. This team, these, this fan, these, this fan base will support you till the end. If you're winning and, and putting out a great effort, that's how this, not just the fans of this team, but fans of every team in this town. Yeah. They want people to have great effort and leave it all on the field. And that's what we ask for. Don't question the way that we're going to fan, okay? We just, just you know, if, but whatever gets your rocks off, right? Yeah. So I don't really care. It felt very much Tim Anderson of him to go that way, mm. and it doesn't really bother me. It's not a shocker. I don't know why people were shocked by it. I don't know if I was bothered, but I thought the clip that Chuck or NBC Sports Chicago, whoever decided to use, you know, the soundbite, right, the clicks of, you know, Anderson kind of questioning Chuck and, you know, uh, being more positive and, you know, creating confusion and all that stuff. And then I think Chuck might've said like, no, no, no. Like listen to the whole thing of what he said. Well then like, why use that clip? Because it got, it got exactly exactly what they wanted. That's what I just thought it was just so ridiculous. But Anderson said that he said what he said. And I just, I'm sorry, you know, you can't question fan. People need, whatever you want to fan fan, however you want to fan, you shouldn't have a player telling you, you know, well, I need you to be more positive. Well, give me stuff to be positive about. I think white Sox fans want to be positive. You know, when you watch the documentary, you'll find that like, give us, give us that hope, give us that intensity, give us that play, stay on the field and, and, you know, walk the walk, talk the talk. And you will get our absolute allegiance. Like we will go crazy for you. Um, but when it's going the way it went last year, and, and I don't know if it was necessarily at players or at the organization in general, and actually Jerry, like, sorry, but that was the product that we had to watch and pay for and sit through, like absolutely do better. At what point should we have cheered louder? Was it during the triple play versus Minnesota? Was it the, uh, 21, uh, run uh, outing that we had uh, from Houston against us. We cheered uh, how louder about the, then? Uh, September sweep when Cleveland came into town and just ate our lunch, yeah. you know, should we have just continued to cheer and said, that's all right. You know, everybody has a bad day. Um, we expect so much more as Sox fans, you know, after this journey since 2016 and what we sat through and for that to happen in September, not that that was singled out, in the whole conversation. That was my only thing. It's like, yes, we all want to be positive. We all want to bring a positive energy as fans. And I I have a lot of hope for this year and the potential and 
I kind of know better as a, as a longtime Sox fan, but I still have the hope, you know, it's a clean slate and what this team can do if everybody stays healthy to Matt's point yeah. in, in, in discussing yeah. the 1990 doc, it blows I, my mind. What could happen? I, I, it, what blows my mind is how, you know, uh, radio hosts in this town, some of them are teammates, some are some morons down the dial that just lost their minds over it, like, and, and throw and throw it, you know, incensed about it. It's just really, it's, it's a lot to do about nothing in my opinion. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, going after fans might not be, you know, your, your best bet, but the product, you know, what, what we had to deal with and where this organization has been headed and, and especially this off season, um, we're looking for positivity. We want, I, I, I mean, I don't, I'm not speaking for all Sox fans, but I, I personally, uh, I want to stay positive. You know, I, I'm trying to go with that mentality. Um, it's a long season. And for me, it's like started already, you know, as I, as I'm in on these spring training games, but, um, yeah, I, I, that, I think that's all we need to do on that. It, it's all, I, now that the games are starting, hopefully we're done with, you know, all the Clevenger stuff, you know, comments and and things being used as like bulletin board material, like fans against players type of stuff in this town. Uh, we, we need to stop. I, I, I just need to I, I need to see some White Sox baseball, hopefully some winning White Sox baseball. And and things will start to calm. I think I I need some winning White Sox baseball just for you because I I need to know that you're you, you've got a you know 162 games to to break down on unlocked on socks and and you got to jump on with me every Sunday night and I I just need you in a good frame of mind. I can't, I can't have what happened last year, Pat. No. I, I can't. Um, I almost had to check myself into. I mean, not a maximum, like not a like a serious <laughs> hospital situation. I but. I was concerned a little bit. I, I don't, I'm, you know, just, I wasn't right. And uh, it was going to be during the all-star break, but I think something, maybe we went on our golf trip during the all-star break. Oh, I, don't, I don't remember. So that, that was, it didn't work out. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad you didn't, you know, check yeah. yourself in anywhere. That's, that's a positive thing, but yeah. <laughs> um, you know, set yourself a little higher this time in case it goes bad, go to a good hospital, not, not like a minimum security one. Make sure you're at a place that you're going to be secure and well taken care of. I've got some numbers now on hand uh, and I've got some, just some tricks now to deal with some, <laughs> some of the issues, but it was bad last year. It was just so bad. And, you know, so folks, uh, I know some of you, you, you might still be just salty with this organization, with this team. And I totally understand. I, I absolutely get it. Uh, watch this documentary when it comes out on, on Thursday, uh, consume it. If you, if you haven't the old stuff, their previous stuff, watch that, pass it along to other Sox fans. Uh, last Comiskey, you can find him on Twitter at last Comiskey and they've got uh, their YouTube channel. And uh, trust me, it, it's some great stuff coming your way on Thursday and for the next three weeks. Yeah. And when do you pop in? Which episode? Two or three? Or do you know? I, I think part two and three, but I, oh, I don't know. Oh, I don't... Wow. They must have <laughs> lost my number. I recreated a whole. Yeah, I, I made a, a out of graham crackers. I made an old Comiskey <laughs> Park during COVID. This is what I did. And I never tore it down. So I said, Matt, come on over and. I'll show you my little laboratory, my little art studio where I was creating it with marshmallows and uh, pretzel rods. And uh, you're, you're like George when he did the, the 3D <laughs> model of, of when they had the tape recorder in the briefcase. Exactly. And well, that was, was my motivation. Yeah. And yeah. wasn't he a Power Ranger? And then and Jerry said he should have been a <laughs> the peanut M&M. M&M. Yeah. The peanut M&M. Yeah. It took him all day. He took a, he took a personal day to create that diorama. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, no, it's, it's great stuff. And, and Matt and Mike are wonderful people. They came out, uh, to our trivia night, uh, last year. Um, and, uh, yeah, nothing but the best for them. I'm so glad they got a write up in the tribune. Yeah. Good for them. And, and we, again, uh, because I know Matt's going to tune in and listen to this either he's watching now or, or later, but, uh, we appreciate having him on. It was fun to have him on and I can't wait to see the, uh, the other two episodes. Yeah. Uh, Pat, uh, we got a lot of baseball coming up this week. Uh, they're packing in a, a lot of games in a short amount of time. Not a lot of uh, days off. I'll be, uh, on my way to Arizona to, to get a sneak peek at this uh, firsthand, 
uh, Wednesday morning and I'll uh, see a couple games out there and it's looking beautiful. Um, I don't know if you paid attention to the weather. I haven't because I'm not going, but uh, I'm glad <laughs> for you that the weather looks uh, like it's going to be beautiful. So yeah. you're going to be out there. You're going to be yelling at pitchers to run off the field when there's any kind of infield just pop get, up. As just soon as, as after, after, after I mean, just get out of there. Once you see it's, it's right up a silo, just sprint. I, you know, you're, well, keep your head up because you're going to like run into, you're going to T-bone a first baseman or a third We've baseman. Seen that before. Oh, sure. Uh, get off the field. Keep your eyes on the field. Like, can I, should I be backing up at first? Should I back up home plate? Where could potentially a missed, uh, you know, throw come in? Let the infielders deal with all that stuff. Don't That's stand around advice. and watch, you know, don't stand That's around advice. and watch. You you do that give give lend your lend your uh you know your expertise to the team and and I I know that they're going to be in good hands when you're out there. Well, you get to go in to watch. You know, if you've gone out there, folks, you know what I'm talking about. You the practice fields are open. You you can check things out early, and uh, you know it's just fun to catch whatever you can catch. You know, and it's it's uh it's an exciting time. You know. Well, I'm happy for you. Yeah, I know I'm you really are. really excited you for are. you. Yeah. And I hope you have a great, great trip. Pat, uh, I, I know you mean that. And it is always a pleasure talking White Sox baseball with you. Buddy, uh, let's do it again sometime. I don't know when you're coming back. So yeah, who knows well, when we're going to well, do this again? Yeah, well, <laughs> I might not. Lord I knows. Might, I just might not. Uh, folks, really appreciate uh, you spending some time with us. Uh, you can find this podcast absolutely everywhere you find your podcasts. And uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel. We're trying to do these live shows now, uh, whether it's uh, Sunday night or, or Monday night. Sunday night has been uh, uh, pretty uh pretty reliable for us but obviously you can find the audio as you always will uh just uh, subscribe to the podcast every new episode uh, comes into that inbox we're on twitter at good guys tv we've got a facebook fan page uh, for for matt fell uh, flesh who uh, man just i can't say enough about you know the man hours alone i can't even imagine that went into this this project uh it's uh, it's gonna be worth your time so check that out last comiskey march 2nd 9th and 16th. Uh, for Pat Hester, I am Nick Morowski. Until next time, uh, go Sox.